Amos chapter 7. Uh, we'll read the chapter and uh, look into the uh, text today. We come up, up to the first uh, three visions uh, and we'll uh, see them this morning. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. This is what the Lord showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. This is uh, Yahweh Adonai in these texts. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will raise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam the king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus has Amos said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from the land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, it is the temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile from its land. So last week we ended with this uh, transition point from preaching to these visions. There's uh, five of them all together. And uh, just by a, a quick review, we looked at uh, some things and said we can't really make a sharp distinction and say, well, this was the preaching section and this is the vision section, although the visions are all in one uh, uh, place or one section. And then we said, by whatever means, God reveals himself through the prophets. And uh, we looked at, for the Lord does nothing without revealing his secrets to his servants, the prophets, Amos chapter 3, verse 7. And then also Hebrews 1, verse 1, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Uh, 
there was a mention that there was a shift in uh, the, the use of God's name uh, that was emphasized, but we have seen in the first six chapters, God's name is, is emphasized. And uh, although there's a difference, it, it, it's not black and white. The, the vision also we saw shows us a direct connection between Amos and Yahweh. There's interaction and conversation. It's, a, it's rather interesting as we'll see when we study these visions. Uh, Amos uh, demonstrates how close he is to the Lord. And uh, we also mentioned here John 10, 37 and 38 where Jesus says, if you don't believe my words, be believe the works. And uh, the vision and Amos's preaching would always go together. If you don't believe what I say, then then look at look at the vision. You see that I am a messenger uh, of God. So that's what we looked at, and now we come to the first vision and intercession of Amos. It's interesting uh, that uh, there are two of these are intercessory. The the first two. Uh, so what can we say about a vision? Well, we have to say a vision is a vision. It's different. It's not uh, say these words. It's a it's a a picture or a story or symbols uh, are placed before uh, a prophet. They are only revealed by God, but they are uh, descriptive or a picture of what God is going to do or what the prophet is going to do. Uh, we uh, know that uh, God reveals himself this way. And an important text is uh, Numbers 12 verses 6 through 8 to get us uh, started. Numbers 12, 6 through 8, uh, Miriam and uh, Aaron uh, don't like the fact that Moses is kind of the boss and uh, he is uh, doing all these things and God is going to uh, set them straight. Eventually, Miriam is struck with leprosy. But in Numbers 12, 6, he says, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. And I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. And then he goes on to say, I speak to Moses in a different way than I would speak to anybody else. Because I speak to him as if it was face to face. A, a veiled face of God. But you remember what happened to Moses' face. It was so, it was so close that, that his face took on a, a, a different look. But that's what God says. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision or in a dream. And, and that is the, uh, uh, that's the key. It's a prophet, it's God that does it, and it's in uh, visions or dreams. Uh, God determines who the prophet will be. Uh, Amos's defense of Amaziah, he says, I wasn't a prophet, I wasn't a son of a prophet, I was just, I was just doing my everyday job. And God called me. Uh, God reveals himself in these special ways to the, to the, to the prophets. And uh, the prophet then has authority to speak as God's chosen spokesman. These visions, these visions are part of uh, Amos's ministry. When we, when we look at Revelation, it's part of Jesus's letter and part of John's ministry uh, to the church. Uh, the, and we also see that opposing a prophet in both Amos and Moses' condition, it is dangerous to, uh, to go against them. But also visions vary in different ways. Isaiah saw a, a vision, and that was attached to his calling. Uh, 
these visions in Amos are just part of the ministry. He's already called. He's already in his ministry. Uh, Isaiah, Obadiah, and Nahum say that their whole their whole thing that they said was a vision. Isaiah says it's a vision. Isaiah 1.1. Obadiah says it's a vision. Nahum says uh, the book of the vision uh, of Nahum. So they're aware that, that God had uh, given this. Uh, there are often different reactions to visions. What, uh, what was Isaiah's reaction to his vision? I'm unclean. Uh, I dwell with the people unclean. Amos has no reaction. He sees the vision and he just says, God, well, this and that and this. He, he, he asks for uh, forgiveness and, uh, and moves on. Look at John, John's vision of Jesus. It, it put him on his feet, it put him off of his feet on onto his knees, his reaction was, I fell at his feet uh, like a dead man. Uh, in, in these visions, there's also interaction and discussion. Uh, in Revelation, John reacts with the angel. Well, I can't do that. Or I, I, what does this mean? Or, or uh, uh, at one point, he bows down again. And the angel says, don't, don't bow down. I'm just like you. Uh, but so there's, there's different reactions. There's different uh, interactions. Uh, there's different execution of the, the visions. Isaiah was connected with his call. I'm a man of unclean lips. The vision is this call comes and puts it and now you have a ministry. And then he says, Lord, what am I going to do? What, what should I preach? He says, well, you're going to preach till, till there's just desolation out there. And he says, how long? Now, uh, in, in John, the revelation maybe you would say is more cryptic, but, but the issues are always the same. Uh, the issues are always the same. It doesn't matter in Amos. It doesn't matter in John. We look at the letters to the seven churches. Uh, personal piety, doctrinal purity. What is, what is God trying to get through to his people in Amos? Live the right way. Personal piety, doctrinal purity. That's what he tells them. Justice and righteousness are gone. You need to be just. You need to be righteous. You need to be holy. Even though the, the, the churches, and even in Amos, as we just read, were hated and assailed and threatened. And the comfort is, as the beginning of Amos, that God's going to deal with all his enemies. All the surrounding nations are going to be judged, but he's going to save his, his people. God will deal with sin. He deals with punishing sin. And he conquers all of the people's enemies and saves his people. It's the same, it's the same message all, all the way through. So the, the, that's very brief for uh, looking at visions. Of course, we could write books about it. But the five visions that we'll, we'll look at, Amos sees locust, fire. He sees a plumb line. Then he sees a basket of summer fruit. And finally, he says in uh, chapter 9, verse 1, uh, I saw the Lord standing by the altar. And some visions are clear and some visions aren't. Uh, look at the dreams that uh, Joseph got, a different way that God revealed. Everybody knew exactly what they were about. Sheaves and cows, how did that tell the people? Well, because, because there was that controversy right there in the, in the, in the family. Uh, look at Peter's vision. This sheet of unclean animals comes down. What's that? And God has to show him three times. The gospel is going out to the Gentiles. This is a, a picture that very soon you're going to be over in a, a Gentile's house and you'll see uh, salvation. 
the different reactions are, are seen in Daniel. He sees the vision of these kingdoms and he says he's troubled, almost sick and in pain. But it always is a representation given by God to a specific person, prophet or apostle that depicts an aspects of, of God's sovereign work in, in history and among men. And it has the it has most of the time uh, the issues of conquering enemies, saving God's people and calling uh, the people to uh, righteous living. But uh, secondly, uh, first of all, a vision is a vision. Uh, secondly, this vision is a little bit hard to understand. And uh, uh, Trapp and Calvin and Motier say that basically the same thing. It's a symbol, but what does a symbol mean? Uh, Calvin says it's metaf it metaphorically designates hostile invasions. And uh, Motier says some features of this vision which are not fully explicable in the present state of knowledge. So that's interesting because he says we just don't know enough about this one. Because here come these locusts again. And what, are the, what is this time frame, the king's mowings? Well, Kyle and Dalich, they land right down on a, on a view. Uh, uh, their introductory comments are, are very good. These visions are not mere pictures of judgment, which was ever threatening and drawing near, uh, nearer and nearer. Still less are they merely poetical fictions and forms of drapery uh, selected arbitrarily for the purpose of clothing the prophet's thoughts. No, these are these are serious God-given visions. It's not just drapery. It's not just some flowery uh, poetry that's added. Uh, the growing, um, uh, they are inward intuitions produced by the Spirit of God, which is set, which set forth the, the punitive judgments and point to God. Consequently, the definition of the time must be interpreted spiritually in accordance with the idea of the, of the vision. Uh, what is the vision's interpretation? Everybody says it's a spiritual thing. Uh, the king who had his early grass mown is Jehovah. So they come right down and say, God is the one they're talking about with the mowing. Uh, and the mowing of the grass denotes the judgments which Jehovah has already executed upon Israel. The growing of the second crop is a figurative representation of the prosperity which flourished again after those judgments in actual fact. Therefore, it denotes the time when the dawn had risen again for Israel. And they fit it historically with the first series of judgments, then the prosperity under Jeroboam, and now the judgment is uh, coming again. Uh, mowings and growings, there's no historical pattern about, well, this king mowed this and he took it for himself or, uh, or that. But uh, this uh, time frame evidently is, is being set up. Uh, Amos, Amos's prophecy targets... Uh, the rich, the wealthy, uh, it targets those who uh, uh, abuse the poor, and, and they are the ones that uh, suffer uh, the most. So we go on to the to the the form, and the form shows us the the historical sovereignty. Wh whatever the symbols mean, God is saying this this is happening in history. You remember, you remember that's part of the prophets message. God told me this, and this is going to be executed in history, whether it's the day of the Lord in the future or very soon, as we saw a number of prophet prophecies that say now this is going to take place. Uh, 
but Amos starts by saying, the Lord God showed me. And God tells him, behold, it's there twice in the text, take notice, look at what I'm doing. And God's sovereignty is shown in the words, he was forming the locust. God is in control of all things. So this locust, this picture is being formed by him. And they basically came and were eating up the land. But this is an interesting picture because Amos intercedes. And we started this section last week by saying everybody needs an intercessor. We all do. Moses was an intercessor. You think of what he said. Lord, you know these people are hard. You know they're stiff-necked. But forgive them anyway. And uh, there's some beautiful pictures of Moses' intercession. So Amos comes in. He addresses Yahweh Adonai. His plea is simple. Please forgive or please pardon he gives reasons, and he gives reasons in both of these. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. As the entire people, they can't stand before God. You can't have an army big enough to, to stand be, before God at all. Uh, and Amos has been preaching about this. There is, there is no way out. Amos's heart has been compassionate all along. Don't we can't make that a, a dichotomy, can we? And say, oh, well, now Amos is really getting compassionate. He wants God to have compassion on the people. No, it's most likely that it was all along because a, a, a true prophet would have mercy. A true prophet would be like the God who is speaking to him and mirror uh, the heart of God. And then it just says, Yahweh relents. Uh, Gil says this is spoken after the manner of men. So God didn't change his mind, Gil says. He didn't change his mind. He changed the dispensations of his providence according to his mind and his will. Well, you say, well, that's, that's interesting, but I don't get it. Well, somehow, somehow you know that, uh, that uh, man's responsibility, God's will, what God does, it's all woven together. And there, there are questions when did God relent? Because the third vision, the third vision is judgment's coming right away. Judgment's been coming in the first six chapters. And here he says, relent and God relents. So how, how he relented, uh, there's a hard, it's hard to put it historically and say, oh, he relented uh, when this situation happened or he relented about this. Uh, when the 185,000 uh, people in Hezekiah's day uh, were slaughtered by the angel, uh, that would be one of the ways that, that God relented. He did not change his mind, but changed the dispositions of his providence according to, according to his mind and his will. Right? There's no contingencies for God. He doesn't go out to a person and say, well, the, they rejected the gospel. There's really nothing I can do about it. We get that sad picture from Revelation 3. Oh, Jesus is knocking at your heart. You have to open the door. And it's a false picture for, because it's, the passage is for believers anyway, not unbelievers. But the false picture is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus could kick that door down. And you wouldn't finish one day as an unbeliever if God really got a hold of you. But it's all tied in with God's covenant, 
his promises, his sovereign choice of his people. And if you were hearing this preaching, there's, there's a possibility that, that you should repent, isn't there? Oh, God had relented. Oh, that's good because I was afraid all this talk of judgment. Maybe, maybe before it comes, I should repent. I should turn. So there, there's mercy in this. There's mercy in, in telling people God is going to relent because somebody prayed for you. God turned away his wrath because of the prayer of a, a prophet. The, 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 the writers are, are kind of unanimous. No earthly calamity can threaten the continuance of the people of God. There'll always be a remnant. There'll always be God's people. No calamity can threaten that. So if, if it means that justice, peace will be saved, that, that fits. Look at Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He, he just talked about the elect. Who shall separate the elect? Nobody. And he goes through all the calamities. This, 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 this. What about the book of Revelation? Who, who is going to separate God's people from uh, Christ? Nobody. Can dragons or beasts or bowls or trumpets? No, absolutely not. Even though, even though Revelation is the, is the high definition, surround sound, max theater version of the whole thing, it, it can't separate God's people. Can peril or sword? No. Well, what about the people in, his, in, in Hebrews? Some of them were sawn in two, but it didn't separate them from the love of Christ. Maybe their arm was separated. Maybe their body was separated. Maybe they were burned in fire, but they, they will avoid eternal fire. Amen. Because nothing can take God's people away from him. And we, we look at all the books, all the prophets. It's, it's the same thing. And the... And the voice, as we'll see from the generation that they live in, is the same thing. Stop talking about this stuff. What, what's John doing? He's writing a letter. They, they, they put him on this island. He's so old, he can't do anything. But just put him on that island. Make sure he's not walking around spreading the gospel. What did they tell, what did they tell Peter and John? Just stop talking about this stuff. And he says, whether it's right for me to do that or not, you better judge. But we do what God says, not, not what you say. And Amos will face the same thing. Amaziah says, just stop talking and go back to where you came from. But that's always what's going on. There's this battle, but Jehovah says, it shall not be. Then the second vision in verses 4 through 6 same format, he showed me and said, Behold. Now, here's the new vision. Yahweh Adonai was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. And this, this seems to be uh, figurative and, and symbolic. And uh, we jump right to Revelation uh, chapter 8 to see something that's very similar. Uh, Revelation uh, 8, verses 7 and 8. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of all the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second trumpet, 
and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea. Well, well, there's the deep. Uh, uh, most people say, yeah, the deep is the, is the ocean. And here's something that's affecting uh, the ocean. Uh, but fire, as we've seen over and over, is a common threat, a common tool, or a common means for real judgment uh, and representing judgment. And fire, as we've seen before, is very, very dangerous. Joel, five times in three chapters, fire. Amos, nine times, seven times in the condemnation of the nations. I'm going to put fire in the strongholds, fire in the strongholds, uh, over and over again. Revelation mentions fire 27 times. In our context, it's catastrophic fire. The deep burns up. Who, who can do that? Who can burn up oceans? Well, if you think of Elijah's situation, just keep putting more water on that sacrifice. Put more on, put more, put more on. And it was consumed instantly. Only Jehovah uh, can do that. Only Yahweh can do that. Barnes says fire stands as a symbol and summary of God's most terrible judgments. Isaiah 66, 16. For by fire will Yahweh enter into judgment, and by his sword will all flesh, and those slain by Yahweh shall be many. Ezekiel 38, 22. With pestilence and bloodshed I will enter into judgment with him, and I will raise upon him and his hordes and the many people who were with him, torrential rains and hailstorms, fire uh, and sulfur. Uh, there's pictures in the New Testament that 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 is our that that is our struggle. We undergo trials that are called fiery trials. First Peter says, "Your faith is tested as if by fire to to see what it's like." First Corinthians uh, uh, three fifteen. Uh, your your work could be burned up if it's bad work, but you'll be saved as through fire, as through testing. And the, the great deep, though it's uh, cryptic, uh, only Yahweh could, could burn up the great deep. If it means the ocean, only Yahweh could do it. But Amos intercedes once again, and it's just slightly different. He says, please cease. Uh, the Geneva says, cease, I beseech thee. The description again, how can, how can the nation stand? It's so small. And the pattern and the answer is the same. And Jehovah says, Yahweh says, this also uh, shall not be. So what do we learn? We learn that the intercession of God's people is woven into God's plan. We're always supposed to pray. We're always supposed to see what the issues are. That God is going to judge his enemies and unbelievers, but he's going to preserve and protect his people. That's always the issue. But we also have to stir ourselves up in compassion and mercy. We should never be heard to say, I can't wait till God judges those people. He's just going to come and tear them apart and burn them all up. That shouldn't be our heart. There's imprecatory psalms, but that shouldn't be our heart. I might pray against an enemy and say, God, please take this person out of my life. I can't deal with them. But I don't do it with this passion for God to, to judge. And then finally, 
in some of these uh, uh, pictures, we have to remember the, the final fire, Second Peter 3, 10 through 13, where it basically says, in a moment, everything will cons be consumed by fire. But the question then is, what kind of people should we be? And he says, in all godliness and holiness. You say, well, I have trouble being godly. How can I be holy and godly at the same time? But, but, but that's how much he wants us to realize it's just going to be wiped out instantly uh, by fire. So then the third vision is the plumb line. Similar format. This is what he, he doesn't use a, a name for God. He says, this is what he showed me also. Uh, behold, again, take notice. It's, it's right there, the vision, Yahweh standing beside a wall, uh, built with a plumb line, and the plumb line is in his hand. It's an interesting uh, part of the book. Uh, uh, John's vision of Christ knocked him down as if he was dead. Isaiah's vision, he, he just said, I I'm unclean. Uh, and Amos and God just have this dialogue and this conversation. And Yahweh asks him, Amos, what do you see? He says, I see a plumb line. He says, good. I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. Now, a plumb line is a, a weight at the bottom of a string, basically. You probably all know that. And you would hang it, and you would be able to see if this wall is plumb, because you would look down, and you, you would see it. When I worked with the, the young man in construction, he had a a six-foot level. It had its own case. It was all like German-made, calibrated, right? You, you, you didn't just get it at Walmart for sure. But you, you take that out, and, and the, because it was the six feet, it was so, it was so accurate. You could, you could see if the, if the wall was out of hair because you could see in between the, the, that level and the, and, the, and the wall. And you would say, well, there's a little, we got to sand a little more there. We got to do this there. Because it was so big, it, it, the, the larger the larger the level, the more accurate the, the measure. Well, think of that. Think of how accurate God's plumbing of the people would be. Think if, if, if Yahweh drew the line for our life, the plumb line for his people. That's what he's saying. Think of how accurate that would be. I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of Israel. I'm going to test them and try them and put them against the plumb line uh, he doesn't say it's the plumb line of my justice, the plumb line of my wrath. He just says it's a plumb line. It's a measuring tool. And I'm going to put it right in the middle uh, of my people. Uh, the use of the plumb line in the Old Testament, four occurrences in, uh, in uh, Amos and the rest of the, New, of the Old Testament, rather. There's four occurrences. 2 Kings 21.13 And I will stretch over Jerusalem... Uh, the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. W what would the plumb line of Ahab's life look like? It it's the wrong plumb line. It's a bad plumb line. What would the measuring? What would the measuring of Samaria be? The place that was full of uh, false worship. You you would say, well, the measuring line of Samaria is this crooked thing. It's all out of whack. Uh, Ahab is all out of whack. He was evil. 
Isaiah 28, 17, this ties right in with Amos. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and water overwhelm the shelter. What a picture. What do we got to say about justice? Hang the plumb line. Get the six foot level. Justice, righteousness. What do you say about righteousness? Where's the plumb line? And, and, and Amos has brought that up over and over and over. Turn righteousness and justice into wormwood, it says. Isaiah 34, 11. He shall stretch the line of confusion over it and the plumb line of emptiness. So there's, a, there's another one. What I'm going to do with the plumb line is just bring confusion. And the plumb line, I'm just going to bring emptiness. Zechariah 4.10, For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So people would maybe complain, well, God's not doing, God's not doing much work. God's not working that much in our day. Well, he says, well, go look, Zerubbabel is, is, building, the, is building the temple again. He, he's, he's, he's plumb lining the walls. God's purpose is to, to test Israel, and he'll set the plumb line in their midst. The Isaiah passage about the justice and righteousness, it, it shows us how, how, far they, uh, how far they are away. Uh, one writer says that it's as if God is saying, I'm going to call them to strict account. Uh, strict account followed by strict judgment because they will not pass the plumb line test. Uh, Gill says, God is saying, I won't wink at their sins and overlook their transgressions by not correcting and punishing for them, nor will I pardon them, but inflict punishment on them. Uh, one other writer uses the, the two words that the uh, Israelites have become irreclaimably obstinate. Well, the result is that God's not going to pass by their sins. That's what it means. I'm not going to pass by them anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm going to judge their sins. And, and so it is cryptic, isn't it? Two visions, Amos intercedes, and we're told God is going to relent. And then we're told he's not going to pass by anymore. Judgment is coming. And the next verses say, the high places of Isaac will be desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. And the, he'll rise again against the house uh, of Jeroboam. So I think we can finish the next section. And that, that finishes the, the chapter. So let's press on. Here, here Amos is confronted by Amaziah. And the first thing Amaziah does in verse 10 is report Amos uh, to Jeroboam the king. He goes right up there and he says, Amos has conspired against you. And notice, the land is not able to bear all his words. They said that of Jesus, right? Who can listen to it? Who can listen to this? Uh, everybody uh, wanted prophets' ears or prophets' mouths to, to be closed. Unbelievers and the wicked can't stand to, to bear the truth. This is a hard saying they said of Jesus. Who can listen to it? That's the, that's the quote. Amos's words were related because Amos said that Jeroboam is going to be dead and Israel's going into exile. And then Amaziah comes with this charge. He says, oh, seer, it, it seems like it's disrespectful and it's tongue in cheek, like people, 
people at your job, if you know they know you're a Christian, they might call you a preacher, or they might call you a holy man, or they, they might call you some twisted uh, word. This seems like that. He says, go flee away to Judah, eat there and prophesy there. It, it, basically, he's saying, go away and stay there, and never again prophesy at Bethel. And then he, he raises Bethel in his, his uh, estimation, isn't it? Uh, it's the center of false worship, but, but don't go there and preach the truth. We have that censorship in our day. Don't preach the gospel. Don't say that. You can't say that. That's the problem with this country, isn't it? There's, there's an element of righteousness that's uh, imposing on the wickedness. And they say, our, our country's in trouble. All these righteous people are preaching. Look what he says. It's the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. You can't preach against that. That's Jeroboam's, right? They, they, make, they make this place of false worship seem so special. That's what he's doing. It seem, makes it seem wrong to speak against the place. Man's false shrines and temples. You, you, can't, you can't talk to people like that. You can't say they're false worshipers. Well, these cathedrals and these places that people worship, you can't speak against that. And then Amos just gives him the plain, the plain truth, the plain reason. Four things he says. I wasn't a prophet. I wasn't the son of a prophet. I was just a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. And then comes his calling. Yahweh took me from following the sheep. Yahweh. He said, my calling is from God. And God is the one that said, stop following sheep. You're going to go do something else. He's sure of it. And said to me, where did I get my commission? Yahweh. But what did I do? I heard his voice. I know God called me to do this. Go prophesy to my people Israel. He's clear. He's clear in his call. He's clear in his commission. Then the prophecy against uh, uh, Amaziah just uh, piles up. He says, if you don't want the prophecy, now I'm going to prophesy against you. You just sealed your fate in a sense. You're saying, go away, go away, go away. And I'm telling you, here comes the word of the Lord. The irony of unbelief is God's word and power controls all things. It controls everything around us. And people reject God's word, but, the, but everything turns on God's word. Ultimately, God's word rules in everything. All that happens to them and people, unbelievers in their eternal state will be determined by God. We say, I don't want to hear about it. You don't want to hear about eternal life. You don't want to hear about peace and, 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 and blessing forever. But look at his courage. Look at Amos's courage too. Go away. No, I got one more thing to say. He demonstrates the, the irony uh, of do not prophesy against Israel by prophesying right back against his house. It, it's terrible. It's broad and it's severe consequences, but there is no avoiding uh, God's word. Amos speaks, but God decrees. Five things. There's a decree concerning his wife. God says, you, you let a nation astray and your wife will go astray. She's going to be a prostitute. The picture in Isaiah 
chapter 4, verse 1, seven women shall take hold of one man in that day and say, we'll eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Well, where do you get the provision from? If all the men are killed, where do you get clothes and things? So ba basically the idea is, that, is there, well, I, I, I'm going to be a prostitute, so I have stuff. You remember uh, Hosea, all the references that they, they, they built up their little hordes of stuff. The battle claims men's lives in the context. There's no provisions. How do you get provisions? Well, I'll sell myself. The decree concerning his children. They'll fall by the sword. And it's two plurals, your sons and your daughters. Your land will be taken over and divided. And he says with a measuring line. So Amaziah, you're the priest. You got all this land. Pretty soon you won't have any land. People are going to measure it all out and give it to somebody else. And then the decree concerning him, you're going to die in an unclean land. He promoted false worship, idolatry, and unclean practices. Now he'll be sent to an unclean land and die there. All of the stuff that he had, he walks in, he talks to the king. He's important. He's probably got money. He, probably, he has lands. He's got status. I'm the priest at Bethel. And now it's all going to be taken away. And then finally, Israel is decreed to go into exile uh, prosperity, wealth, everything is, is going to be taken away. And it's a, a Hebrewism there. It's, it shall surely go. It's a repeated word. So it's like uh, by migrating, they'll migrate. Or they will certainly go. Or departing, Israel will depart. It's the same Hebrewism that uh, God uses uh, with Adam and Eve. And he says, the day that you eat of it, dying you will die. It's, it's emphasized. So this is surely, absolutely uh, going to happen. And we'll uh, pick up here uh, next week, the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8. Let's pray. God, we're thankful once again for the amazing prophecy of uh, Amos. We pray that the things that uh, we have learned today would be written on our hearts. We ask for strength, Lord, to be uh, living godly and holy in this crooked and perverse generation. We ask for this message to go out. Uh, and help others as well to turn from their sins and turn to Christ. In Jesus' name, 